Welcome to the Big Ten on Radio Boise, KRBX 89.9 FM, Caldwell, Boise. I'm your host today, Luke Fowler, here with my co-host, Jen Snyder, and our very, very special guest, John Freemuth, uh, all colleagues from the School of Public Service at Boise State. And John may be a little bit more special than our, uh, than the other two of us, as he is the endowed, the Andros Endowed Chair for Public Lands. We mean more special in the most <laughs> kindest, illuminating, best way. Yes, yes, not in anything negative. <laughs> uh, what we mean is that uh, John uh, is way more respected than the rest of us are <laughs> around the halls of that place. So, uh, yeah, he uh, is gracious with his presence uh, to uh, teach us a few things about public lands and some of the things that are going on with environmental policy these days. That's right. And to John, also, you if you're hearing John's voice and it sounds familiar, it's probably because you've seen him on the news or heard him on the radio. He's, he's one of our most frequently quoted people in the media today. Public intellectual, I like to call you, John. Thank Patty Limerick for that one. <laughs> Patty Limerick in Colorado. Yeah. 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 Also a public intellectual herself. As, yeah, she called yeah. me one, and I thought, okay, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll adopt that. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. Well, John, we wanted to have you on this week because there's some really big environmental news. We did a show a couple weeks ago about all of the climate change studies that have come out. And then this week, uh, we learned that Ryan Zinke, who's the uh, Secretary of the Interior at the Department of the Interior, has finally, I guess we could say, Mm -hmm. resigned. He's had a a storied, difficult uh, career uh, in public service over the last two years. So talk to us a little bit about um, what you think is going on there. Well, I don't think that this was was unexpected at all. I was, you know, brainstorming with folks that I thought maybe by February. But if you look at this, just... Just from a political point of view, this kind of bad news comes out late Friday, early Saturday, right, where nobody's paying attention, um, and now it, everybody's talking about it. Um, not unexpected at all. There are so many things dragging along behind him, scandals, ethics, all of that stuff that um, – I think it was a matter of time. Uh, I was sort of surprised that he lasted as long as he did. Why do you think uh, he he sort of endured the whole two years? Yeah, I mean, unless you do something that's really bad, illegal. I mean, you're you you're, there's you know 23 people saying that you harass them. You know, you make it just unavoidable to get rid <clears throat> rid of somebody. You got to give it them a little time. He didn't serve as long as James Watt. Now, listeners that might remember James Watt. And it's an interesting comparison. He came in after Cease, after Andrus was secretary, under Reagan, and obviously went went more for resource development, oil and gas, grazing, mining. Like Zinke has. Like Zinke has, but, but he seemed to be, I mean, people could disagree with him. What got him in trouble is he would say stupid things about appointing a commission of two, two Jews, a cripple, and somebody else. Oh, but what got Watt, listeners might find this funny, is he wouldn't let the Beach Boys play on the National Mall. And this was sort of the last straw. And Nancy Reagan loved the Beach Boys. And that was sort of, that was it. Ronnie, it's And the time. mall is run by the Park Service, which yes, is at the department, it, that's right? That's right. The yeah. Park Service manages the mall. I don't think Watt had any sort of scandal after scandal in terms of ethics and insider stuff. Um, he was outspoken. He did, couldn't put a muzzle in it sometimes. But Zinke takes us back to some of the scandals of the turn of the century, the Teapot Dome and others, just seemingly um, way over the edge on ethics. 
So I see uh, some parallels, and John, uh, maybe you can correct me or add to this with uh, Scott Pruitt, right? Um, yes. Because I, I think Zinke and Scott Pruitt have been very successful in carrying out Trump's agenda, political agenda for the most part, but just constantly uh, plagued by these personal scandals, these ethical challenges. So it's very and interesting. Pruitt, the head of the EPA, yes, who yes, resigned f- earlier this yeah. year. Yeah, former head of the EPA. Yeah. So, I mean, I saw a lot of parallels there. Do, yeah. do you see those too, or is that just me? No, I think that's, that's pretty accurate. You have to know what you're doing when you come in and have a plan. Now, the number two in interior, very close to oil and gas, is a guy named David Bernhardt. He's been in interior before. He is smart and savvy and less prone to these kind of gaffes like you're talking about with Pruitt. It was, a you know, what did he do by a sort of like a telephone booth in his office that he could have secret phone calls in? Cost thousands of dollars. I think he had some travel stuff. Um, but both of them accused of trying to use their offices for personal Yes, gain. exactly. Yeah. Rather than come in and like it or not in a policy sense, say, you know, we're going to do more oil and gas. That's what the president wants. But you do it ethically and responsibly and you have policy battles. This was weighing down everything, I think, at some point. And now, of course, we want to add the House is now run by the Democrats and uh, uh, the new chair of the committee, Raul Guevara from Arizona, is going to be pointed coming back to what's going on in interior in terms of investigation. So it's going to be completely different politics now. Yeah, it will be so interesting to see if, you know, the two folks who are running, you know, EPA and Department of Interior, much more low profile, not the same sort of big personalities that we had with Pruitt and Zinke. I think the fear on the left is that they'll be even more effective at implementing the deregulatory agenda. What's really interesting, if we the comparable thing here, I think, is probably the Reagan administration and his secretary. Well, not secretary, but head of EPA was a woman named Ann Gorsuch. Later, Ann Gorsuch Burford, she married the head of BLM. That name Gorsuch should be familiar to Yes, some the folks. mother of the Supreme Court judge. But she didn't last as long as Watt. I mean, she was crazy in terms of some of the stuff, demoralized EPA. And interestingly, um, President Reagan brought back in a former EPA director to write the ship, yeah. uh, Ruckel's House. Uh, who, there's a great center named after him at the University of Wyoming, whereas, you know, you don't really see that with this administration. They're not even attempting to write the morale in EPA or interior. And historians um, haven't viewed her tenure oh, favorably, but they have Ruckel's house. So it's interesting oh. that, that the Trump administration isn't trying to write those. Models. I know. And people were just ecstatic when he came back in the Reagan era. And right now you see nothing going on in interior EPA like that. There was a, a news item last week to announce that uh, morale at EPA and at Interior is sort of at all-time historic lows. You and attribute this is that deliberate. to leadership. It's deliberate. Um, when you add to it co- Congress not funding agencies, and we're not talking about in these budget times super increases of funding, but if you don't fund, you move people around, you don't listen to the professionals, that's all deliberate. So you can turn around and then say, see, they can't do anything. Well, you've made them much more difficult in their in their behaviors to be able to accomplish anything. And we know from our research that, that career people, even though they don't agree with the political people, if they're talked to, um, they will talk to the political leaders about how to accomplish things and not get in trouble. But if they're patronized and ignored, then it just it be, it makes things even worse in terms of the agency being able to function. 
I wonder, too, if some of those lapses in ethics and leadership at the top have demoralized some of sort of the, you know, more mainline bureaucrats. That oh, are, clearly. Yeah. The clearly. Some, at least some of the things I've heard about. There have been, and without naming names, phone calls to low-level managers right out of D.C., which is, you know, usually you go through the chain. You talk to the... If it's if it's BLM, you talk to the state director. Oh, um, you mean and, and folks in D.C. are going around. That yeah, chain they're of calling and overviewing people that are fairly they're managers, but they're fairly low down. And that kind of political interference is not, I should add, just something Republicans do. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, and I, I'd imagine that a lot of employees at, at EPA and, and BLM and some other places are just kind of trying to keep their head down, keep their, your head their down, mouths shut, and just riding out this storm and hoping things kind of fix themselves. That's probably um, accurate. Yes, and. The, but they are still trying to take care of the land um, and do what they can. But they've got to be very careful, as you say, Luke. Uh, keep your head down as you do it. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk to you about what's happening with the Andrew Center, where you're executive director. And you've been doing some exciting work on public lands. Mm-hmm. And we want to hear more about that. So stay tuned. What's up? I'm Ozzo Matic, and you're listening to KRBX 89.9 FM, Caldwell Boise. Tune in and turn it up. Welcome back to the Big Ten on Radio Boise, and uh, we're here talking to our very special guest today, John Freemuth, uh, with the Andrews Center. Um, and so, John, you've been doing some really interesting work over there in the last uh, couple of years, and we're excited, and our listeners are excited to hear more about it. So, well, tell us about what, what's uh, what's going on over there. Yeah, um, Luke and, and Jen. So the Andrews Center has a three-part mission, education, um, because actually – Ceases or Governor Andrus's career began really fighting for um, kindergarten. And you call him Cease because you were, in fact, good I friends. I call him Cease, but never to his face when yeah. he was alive because yeah. I just couldn't do that. Yeah. You know, it was um, just respect. Don't call me Cease. I just, you know, but I can do it now. But you were quite close. Especially I in was, the years I got him. closer to him towards uh, as we grew the center back yeah. after some trouble it had. But um, I view myself as keeper of the legacy, like in fourth place. There's were people like Tracy, his daughter, and Mark Johnson, and the late great Chris Carlson, who really kept the legacy because they worked with him when he governed, and so they saw things that you know very important. And it, it was more to keep the legacy going when I came involved in it. But education, leadership, and the environment, and so. We, we try to, uh, you know, bring them together if we can. Well, for example, on our webpage, Andrew Center webpage, which is you can just, if you get bought in Boise State and just look at the directory, it's alphabetized, you look up Andrew Center. Um, we, we're putting a thing to help our environmental students navigate getting a career, working in things environment, whether it be agencies, nonprofit, the corporate world, whatever. Because a lot of times we in the university forgot how it was when we were struggling to get jobs. Yeah, that's right. And, and it's different out there, too. And now. it's different. Yeah. And to try to mentor them, make the contacts they can make and so forth, we really believe in that. Cease was a such a believer in education, whether it be kindergarten up through college. And so, you know, there's a link with the environment and um, education. We do a women in leadership conference every year that has just... It's stunning how it's taken off. Um, 900 attendees this year, fabulous speakers. I mean, we're very careful about getting the best dynamic speakers we we could. Um, And it just resonates. The federal land agencies, because of their issues in harassment 
and diversity have become real attendees at this thing and they have their own meetings during it where they they're they're trying to take this as seriously as they can because it's a horrible issue in those agencies oh it's a horrible issue everywhere everywhere and not to toot boise state's horn but i think this is an area where boise state really is exhibiting a lot of leadership as there are so many women entrepreneurs and women in leadership here in idaho and yet so many challenges that i think women in the public and private sectors face and that conference in particular is a way that you're really making space right. to promote. Um, we do, and we bring leadership. in high school kids, and they can meet these people, or just women in, that are working in Idaho meet uh, what whatever. For example, uh, the head for the Forest Service Wildland Fire came, and people th- from her agency and others could meet her. She had Cr- Shauna Lagarza is her name. What a story about how she became chief of Wildland Fire. And then, of course, we do his legacy in environment and public lands. See Sanders's. Sanders's. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we do. A public land conference. Um, we bring in speakers. We brought the director of the Park Service in a couple of years ago. Now, in the future, we're, we're working on a conference in April that's going to tie in energy salmon and, and, of course, the dams, but it's not an anti-dam conference. Uh, right now, and that, that would be April 23rd next year, and we'll add that to the webpage. But right now, we all know the issues with the dam and salmon, the dam and salmon, but what's also happened is BPA cannot sell its power at the rates it used to, and be, as a Bonneville result power of that, administration. right, mm-hmm. and therefore they do not have as much money for for mitigation, and so it's a crisis developing. And our goal at the Anders Center is not to solve the problem, but get the people in the room and see if they can start talking. They already are, Governor Inslee is working now has brought orcas into the conversation because they're the salmon decline affects the orcas now mike simpson's already agreed to come and we're working on other key speakers that that hopefully will come for that uh we work with blm on wildland fire we're helping sponsor a wga that would be western governors association series of meetings on invasive species which is not a partisan issue um and so we, we do stuff like that, um, and we seize other opportunities when, when they come, though people maybe don't understand that the Andrews Center is not very big. It's me and Katie, Rob, and Kathy Scott helps, and Tracy, and there's a governing board. So we do a lot of this with volunteers. We, we really appreciate Yeah, that's pretty remarkable. So for folks who don't sort of follow environmental news or environmental issues, John, can you talk a little bit about why public lands is such a big deal in a place like Idaho in the yeah. West? Um, let's start with Idaho first. 60 to 61 percent of Idaho is managed by the federal government. As, as C. Sanders would say, they're not federal lands, they're public lands. And is that mostly BLM, Bureau of Land Management? It's a split between BLM and Forest Service. We are really a Forest Service state in terms of wilderness and in terms of, especially up north, the timber economy. Southern Idaho is BLM. We don't have a national park in Idaho, though if listeners get out their maps, they can look and see that surrounding Idaho are states with crown jewel parks. That's partly because of Idaho politics uh, and partly because of hunting being so important in Idaho. Um, But we use the public lands for things. I bet you two do uh, for whatever it is you do, whether it be hunting, camping, backpacking, ORV use, and then resource use, mining, grazing, 
um, for uh, timber harvesting. That's why they're called working lands. That, well, they are called working lands. And, of course, that creates a politics of use versus conservation or preservation. And we swing back and forth. Um, Idaho has had great leaders on, in lands issue. I, what co- comes to mind, obviously, Sanders, Frank Church, Jim McClure, um, and now Mike Simpson, certainly. Mike Crapo has really supported um, – a collaborative and Jim Brish too uh, does some environmental things, but he's also on foreign affairs and things like that now. Well, so uh, I thought it was interesting earlier you referred to public lands or some of the stuff you do as nonpartisan issues. Um, and I think that's kind of an interesting because a lot of what we've talked about, particularly with climate change, is the partisan polarization oh, around some of these issues. So do you see that, you know, looking at public lands, are those less partisan? And why do you think that is? No, they're ju- look, they're just as partisan as anything else, except there are issues where you could say there is no partisan way to deal with invasives, right? It's wildland fire in Idaho will cause uh, cheatgrass to come in instead of sagebrush, and that just threatens the sage-grouse. Um, and so there are ways to deal with that. Um, it can get political if somebody says, well, it's all the rancher's fault, and they don't want to get more comprehensive about the suite of issues. But public lands are very partisan. There's no question about that. They always have. And it wraps up around this tension between using them and preserving them. Um, and so I have become a believer in what – and I moderate things on forest collaboratives here in Idaho, which the point is sit down around the table and see where where we can come to points of agreement and build this sort of civic capacity that allows our elected officials to go, well, if they agree on that, let's see if we can carry that as legislation or support it with resources. Now, that's uh, – I mean, that sounds amazing, particularly as we look at um, how – complex environmental problems have been solved around the world it comes back to that right it's actually just sitting down and talking to people and stopping to lob accusations yep you know uh and so it's really uh, great to hear you're doing that type of work and bringing people together to come up with uh, i'll say real solutions to problems that have traditionally oh, been yeah. partisan and can be very uh can be very political and be very polarizing but really do need real solutions well and it's just it's time consuming and i don't want to be over optimistic it take i mean We've got some great stuff in Idaho, but national events can can frustrate these folks that are trying to work together. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to hear from John on some work he's been doing with the Western Governors Association and also a book project on the Craters of the Moon. So stay tuned. This is 89.9 FM, community radio for Boise and beyond, because what you listen to matters. Welcome back to The Big Tent here on Public Affairs Thursday, Radio Boise. My name is Jen Schneider. I'm your host, and I'm here with my co-host, Luke Fowler, and our guest, John Freemuth, who's a distinguished professor uh, in environmental policy at Boise State University and also the executive director of the Andrus Center in Public Policy. John, you raised over here to the station today (laughs) from a call that you were on with the Western Governors Association. Talk to us a little bit about the work that you do with that group. Well, what, where that began, because C. Sandris was chair of Western Governors twice, um, I believe, and also chair of the National Governors Association during his uh, 14 uh, years as governor. But what, what each governor does is they pick an issue that they think is important for their year as chair. Lately, the Western governors, whether it be Matt Mead, Republican of Montana, Steve Bullock, Democrat from uh, Montana— Jen, he went, he went to Claremont Men's 
College. Now, Claremont I did McKenna, not go to Claremont Men's College. But you went to Claremont <laughs> Grad School, and I went to Pomona, <laughs> whose mascot is the Sage Hen. Anyway, interesting. Okay. Now, Governor Ig of Hawaii is doing invasives. And so they are starting to tie in these what we call landscape-level issues in the West, um, forest and rangelands with Bullock, ESA with Matt Mead, and now Invasives with Governor Ig, and then whoever the next chair is. Western governors are in a unique position to try to bring people together, um, given that our national politics are so just vicious and polarized. Western governors are bipartisan. They're Democrats and they're Republicans. Now, the the governors don't always agree, but they try to come together on a common issue. So I've been able to moderate a thing for Governor Otter on endangered species. That was actually Governor Meade's initiative. Then I got to do one in um, Denver with Governors Meade and Hickenlooper on forest and rangelands and other related issues. And then I'm, we're helping on invasives. The Andrus Center hosted a couple of years ago the first real meeting of all the invasive professionals to talk about Westwide invasive issues because if you look in the West, the invasive issues in Idaho are not necessarily the ones you're going to find in Montana or, or you know, Wyoming or Colorado. They're comparable, but they're not comparable. So I moderate that. We're helping sponsor the next one on quagga mussels and things like that, because ironically— Which is an invasive species. It is, comes in and on it, boats. it comes in on boats, and ironically, it, it's a problem at Lake Mead and Lake Powell, where I was a ranger for the Park Service in the 70s, where it really wasn't an issue or identified as an issue then. But it gets into the politics of boat inspections. You know, you need each— agency at different levels to have a strategy together. And I think Governor Anders would be pleased that we, we the Anders Center helps with a WJA. So um, we, of course, have a new governor who's going yes, to take do. office in the, in the new year. If you were a betting man, um, would you be able to predict what you think uh, Brad Little's environmental priori- priorities will be? I think he um, Idaho is doing all this neat stuff on, on federal state uh, forest stewardship the the state is helping the forest service with money and personnel to get to the place where if these collaboratives are successful they can get some wood off the forest yet the trump value is now restoration not just cut a lot of trees um, for jobs which are important i would imagine governor little will follow that up and and highlight why idaho should be looked to as a way to solve these problems um as, as it develops, you know, certainly there are um, sage-grouse issues that uh, that that little fella is coming back in 2020. F- U.S. Fish and Wildlife agreed to relook at the status in 2020. Isn't it currently an endangered species? It was it was list. Uh, yeah, it's not. Uh, they avoided a listing with all this collaborative work that Secretary Jewell did at the end of the um, Obama administration. A listing was warranted in 2011 but was precluded. This is ESA jargon because Fish and Wildlife had other priorities. They didn't have enough money. They revisited this time. Everybody went, holy moly, if that thing gets listed, the effect on politics, the economy, land use could be devastating. So they voided it. But then the new administration came in and changed a lot of the plans that undercut this, land management plans. 
promoting oil and gas so unless they spend a lot of time on monitoring, they spend a lot of time on good science, and I know, Jen, you do great work, and it's something I'm interested, too, in the politics of science. Um, what's going to happen in 2020? The House is now Democratic, so the House is not going to prohibit a listing anymore, mm-hmm. like they might have if it had stayed Republican. So I know Governor Little is going to be paying attention to that because we're a huge sage-grouse habitat state. Yeah, everybody's watching that for sure. So the, I guess the other thing, you know, it's so funny to me that you're on sabbatical this year. You're like the busiest person on sabbatical that I've ever met. Um, the, another project you're working on is a book project on yeah. creators, creators of the moon. Tell us yeah, about that. Yeah, that's, you know, as, as my colleagues know, when you go on sabbatical, you're supposed to have a writing project. But when no, you're, you're supposed to do yoga every day. Yoga every day and run <laughs> and work out, like I always have. But but directing the Andrus Center with these large grants, including one, a huge one from USGS, no, that's not the Andrus Center. I've been busy. But the Craters Project, there's a series out of Nevada Reno's press, um, edited by Char Miller at Pomona College, ironically my alma mater, but on Parks of the West. And so I talked to Char and thought that craters made sense for a lot of reasons. Um, there's a movement now to make it a park. It was on Trump's hit list until uh, uh, Congressman Simpson and others said, keep your hands off craters. We like it just fine. Hit list fine. meaning they wanted, we're, we're they going were to delist really it? looking at uh. not... And it gets complicated about the original monument versus what was added by President Clinton and then made into a preserve by Congressman Simpson because of a hunting issue. But there's a lot to write about, about craters. Uh, Native American history there, they used to hide in a place called the Lost Valley. I can say no more about that. It's Mm. there. Um, The politics around it, you know, uh, it's sort of just kind of writing about the area that for the interested reader that not just a tour book, not just a hero of the flowers, but to try to weave it all together and tell the story about craters, which craters had the first National Park Service wilderness in the United States. Legendary park superintendent that became a friend of mine named Paul Fritz, who some listeners may remember Paul. He did some interesting stuff, including being in a trailer in arches when he was doing some of the land planning and the guy in the trailer next to him was a guy named Edward Abbey. Oh, you're kidding. <laughs> no. So uh, stories there. Um, but that's what I'm doing with our, one of our PhD students that you guys know, Mackenzie Case. So I know it's not a guidebook, but for those of us who've never been to Craters of the Moon, I'm a fourth generation Idahoan and I've never been to Craters. What can you expect when you go there? Why should people go and visit? The landscape is stunningly different than anything you've you've seen. Now, if you've been to Hawaii, you've maybe seen something like that, but it's essentially... Um, With like the, the black lava rocks block, and things like that. Black lava and it is some of the most um, vicious stuff to walk in. I mean, you have to walk slowly um, on very good boots because that lava will cut into everything and you can't travel You're not selling fast. me on it, John. I well, don't come on. What go do you to do? this horribly girl? dangerous place where you get cut on lava rocks. Well, that's the, ba- <laughs> that's the back country now. There are accessible trails okay. uh, and things like that for for newbies. Yeah, new. he looked right at me when he said that. It's true. I love nature in the abstract. I think we can all agree on that. Oh, I like it in the <laughs> fall down and get dirty. Part of it. 
Good. Well, John, thank you so much for coming. And if people want to learn more about you and more about the Andrus Center, they can just Google Andrus Center yeah. Boise State. And it'll yeah. come right up, I assume. Yeah. And yeah. I'm, you know, if somebody gives me a call, has a question, I always take those, you know. That's I, wonderful. I'm yeah. not a believer in ivory towerism. Good. Excellent. Uh, you know, John, I'd be careful offering that. We have a huge listener, <laughs> you know, like tons of audience. Know. It's actually oh, national at this point. Uh, listeners all the way from the uh, East Coast. So uh, you're because your mom calls. listens. I just want to yes. say one thing: when when these guys act like I'm something special, I will point out to listeners they both have tenure, so they're not trying to butter uh, me up. Or I don't anything. have tenure yet, well, so you're yeah, get it, I'm told. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thanks again, and thanks to all of you for listening to the Big Tent. We hope hope you have a great holiday season and uh, we will be back next week. So make sure to tune in here at Radio Boise.